0: Hello, brothers and sisters, this is the Remnant Warrior, and you are now listening to Buy Their Fruits on the Kingdom Productions Network. Buy their fruits, you shall know them.
1: Buy, 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 their buy their fruits. Buy their fruits. Buy their fruits. Buy their fruits.
0: Buy their fruits. You shall know them.
2: Welcome to Buy Their Fruits. My name's Bryant. I'm here with my co-host Jeremy. Jeremy, how are you today, brother?
0: I am wonderful, man. It's a uh... It's another day. It's a blessing to be alive. We got Gary Wayne on today. How are you doing, Gary?
1: I am doing absolutely terrific, and so happy that you have invited me to your podcast, and looking forward to the conversation today.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it very much. You're somebody that's definitely influenced Brian and I for oh man years, years now. So it's a, it's amazing to kind of have people on our show that have really helped us in our spiritual walk and our, our walk with Christ and to gain knowledge of the Word of God and. You know, you have built us up quite a bit, and it's just uh, sometimes it's unbelievable that we're able to actually have this conversation. You know, about a year ago, we would have never thought this was even, you know, not even possible. So, it's it's an honor, man. Um, I was wondering, could you give us a little background about yourself, who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, I guess I would start by saying I'm what I
1: call a Christian contrarian. And I bring that to all of the things that I, I like to research. And what a contrarian is for me, so that people can better understand what my approach is, is that I tend not to believe what people say uh, without trying to verify it myself. I tend not to believe what somebody says something might say is written or is a fact somewhere and unless I can verify it. So that's what I mean by a, a contrarian as opposed to being sort of anti everything in christianity but um i think at times you can you can get to new perspectives when you are a contrarian and that's what i try and do in my research so my background is is sort of Not in the same sort of lane as a lot of researchers that would be out there in uh, eschatology or uh, heavy duty research on history and prehistory. I was, uh, you know, I. Grew up as a fan on mythology, and I grew up a fan on history, and I used to read a lot when I was very, very young. And I became a prophecy buff as I came back to Jesus and back to uh, God and the Holy Spirit through being challenged to read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And so my contrary nature sort of dug in when I was very young because I was in my early 20s and I wanted to know whether or not Hal was actually being accurate or making things up or ad-libbing or manipulating. And so that started me on my my quest back to to, to Jesus because the, the house book literally scared the crap out of me and I needed to have a better understanding. And once I got into prophecy, then I wanted to know more. And so I was you know kind of logging everything I could on prophecy as I would read through it I would write it down and put everything into separate files because there's so many different lanes in prophecy and you know as as I went along I started to see things that were rather odd that that I thought was odd that were you know where I was in terms of my understanding of the bible and, and so you run across these things like the giants in genesis 6 that are kind of out there From my perspective at that time and I just thought you know I'll leave that alone I'm not that's not what I'm here to do and then giants come up after the flood but so I I started all over and I started to re-log everything and I thought there's too many things going on in the Bible and I need to understand this a little bit better so my approach um, is kind of who I am in terms of how I come back to uh, scripture and what my beliefs are is I rely on everything that's in the Bible and I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. I think it adds more information. And I think that if you put all the different passages together on a specific subject, it blends perfectly um and it only doesn't if you're into a preconceived sort of agenda or doctrine and so i started on a quest uh, that was over 25 years before i even decided to write my first book um, in terms of bible prophecy or prehistory and i did a little bit of both with a genesis 6 conspiracy uh and so i started writing that book in about 1995 and i was over 15 years in writing of that book and i wrote the first 10 chapters very very quickly but you know i i started to decide i decided i wanted to add in things about mythology that i knew that i had read there that were telling parallel stories or the same story but from a polytheist lens and what historians had to say because what's written in the bible is recorded all around the world we just need to understand from what sort of lens that they're that they're understanding that from and so once i did that it just took me down to secret societies and all sorts of different rabbit holes that you know i was down, down for years and years trying to learn more about and so i do not have a uh a theology degree or anything like that. So my knowledge comes from just relying on what the Bible says and putting things together. And what I found is, is it kind of turns a lot of preconceived notions upside down in so many different ways and, and, and directions. And so I think contrarian and uh, where it ends up is kind of maybe what I might be but not from how I go about doing my research it's the you know it's the choice a of verifying everything being sort of saying well do we actually have everything right in terms of eschatology and some of the doctrines in the bible so that's kind of who i am and i'm an individual that likes to get information out there and connect dots for people so i'm not you know sort of special or in any sort of way uh, I, I didn't have a platform i'd never written a book and so all of this was sort of a learning curve on my own and how do i get my name out there and how do i get known so that people might want to buy my book or people might want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the research that uh, i'm doing and for me i'm not about selling books i'm about getting information out there so do i appreciate people who buy books absolutely Um, but i give a lot of documents away for free Uh, I answer questions. I spend probably three or four hours a day on social media and sending documents out to people. So if you have a question or if there's a document that I might mention, get a hold of me through my website at www.genesis6conspiracy.com. That's genesis6 with the number six, conspiracy.com. And there's a contact, the author icon there. Ask me a question, ask for a document by topic, please, because I have a lot of documents. And I will get back to you. you. Might take or three weeks because of the amount of email traffic and social media that I do, but I will get back to you.
0: Yeah, man, I will have to say that uh, when it comes to the work of uh, you and Derek Gilbert on topics like the uh, mythology and stuff like that, you know, when you're growing up, you you think that they're all different, and they don't have anything to really do with the Bible, but when I got into you and uh, Derek's research, you know, like it it blew my mind, and it's so much more connected to the biblical worldview than I could have ever thought, and it makes everything just just fit into place and make so much more sense about the spiritual warfare that's going on. You know, you realize, you know, the Titans and the Tanu and the giants and, uh, all these different things in the epitaphs of the gods, like, you know, you got Jupiter and, uh, or Saturn and, and, uh, Kronos and how in every single culture, you got these gods that all seem to be just a different name for the same being that you could probably find in the Bible you know, like Derek's working on this stuff, uh, kind of connecting, uh, Saturn to, uh, Shemiyaza from the book of Enoch, you know, he, that's, that's what he's kind of doing. And, um, your work is very similar when it comes to connecting mythology and the biblical worldview. And it just, it's absolutely mind blowing in my opinion. Um, I know that you work. Yeah. Yo, go on. Sorry. I, I was going to say,
1: yeah, I like, uh, I like to work with Derek. Derek does a lot of very, very good research. I think we agree on a lot of, a lot of things and you know, whatever we might disagree with, it's kind of minuscule in terms of the overall picture. So I I just, you know, think that, you know, particularly in the West, we live in a different sort of view of things than the rest of the world. And I like mm-hmm. to bring people sort of back that we're part of, a, you know, however many people there are in the world, 7 billion odd people. Uh, and we're part of a long history and our history in terms of monotheism you know it was a small island in the sea of gentiles and so there's a lot of information that's out there that helps us understand biblical history providing we're looking at things and measuring it through what the bible says versus what the polytheist biases is and that's exactly how they look at things but look look at things but they're telling the same stories of prehistory they're telling the same things in history and they have similar outcomes for the end of the world the final outcome it will be a little bit different but they're working in that same sort of direction i guess is probably a better way of of doing it that they actually want to bring about the end time so if we can understand better what the adversaries are working on and how they approach things we'll be able to help people and hopefully less people will be deceived um when things really start to get messed up because we're in the age of propaganda and brainwashing and we've seen nothing yet in terms of the control and the way they're going to be able to turn things upside down and inside out that you know even the elect are going to be deceived if that were possible and Jesus has warned that that is possible and that will happen so We're going to have to be stronger than some of the weaknesses that are showing up in the leadership of the church. I think the pestilence of the last couple of years has showed us that uh, our leadership within the church is not what it ought to be. And that when we see that prehistory and prophecy is purposefully not taught in the churches, then they are doing us such a big disservice. And if we want to understand the Bible better, we want to understand history better, we want to understand prophecy better. We have to understand prehistory to understand prophecy because all the context is there.
2: Right. You guys understand, Brian? Yeah, that's exactly right. I was, I was going to say that same thing that, that uh, elect being deceived if that were possible is pretty intimidating. It it definitely uh, pushes you away from having that puffed up opinion of I know it all. And I'm, super secure, you know, any fearful of the Lord Bible-believing Christians should read that and go, wait, is that me? Maybe I need to really reconsider, you know, what I'm so locked in on. And and I think studying the enemy's plans, right, is, is very vital to our survival in these coming times. Now, uh, those days will be shortened. You know, we, we do have some comforting uh, verses as well, but I, I just think that I agree. Everyone should read that. Even the elect could be deceived. And that being possible should really make us uh, make sure that we're not holding these kind of Gnostic views. Like I have this secret knowledge, I have this secret information, or I know something you don't know. And and we often talk about how those Gnostic belief systems are really working their way into secular circles. And, and I think we have a lot in history as well that kind of really just exposes that there is a agenda at play that has been at, at play a long time. You know, you look at things as simple as, uh, you know, you hear so much of this Um, belief system today of, you know, the simulation theory. And you think back to things like when you're a child, you're taught, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. And it's like, are we embedding in our children at an early age that life's just a dream? Nothing you do matters. You know, I mean, that plays into that kind of simulation theory. And then we look at, you know, movies like um, Ryan Reynolds was in this movie recently. I think it's called The Free Guy. And he's like, ends up with these glasses and realizes, oh, this is just a game. Nothing I do matters. Even if I die, I've got an extra life. And we just see these kind of same things just in pop culture and in history and everywhere we look. And I feel like a lot of the research that you've done probably would just expound upon some of my very surface level research into these things. But I am a father of children, so uh, I do see how some of these things are just Really strange. We look at the rockabye baby, you know, why is there a cradle and a treetop? Like, what what's going on here? You know, what's your thoughts on some of that kind of stuff, Gary?
1: Well, yeah, you said a lot there, and uh, I'll start maybe at the beginning and maybe work my way forward on it. So, you know, are Christians ready for a counterfeit Armageddon? Are they ready for a counterfeit rapture? Are they ready for a counterfeit um messiah that has a counterfeit resurrection are they ready for so-called proof that the and it'll be false of course that the resurrection was false Um, are they prepared for all of these things um, as we look at how the media and the internet controls all of the speech today And how they'll drive a message, whether it's true or not, and how easily, from what we saw in the last couple of years, that people will go along with it. And are they actually prepared for this and a whole bunch more? Because we can't imagine everything that they're going to throw at us. It's going to be that sort of level. But in the meantime, they're preparing preparing the generation the fig tree generation for accepting these delusions and that starts very very young um but even starts even kind of sort of before that if we understand that you know gnostics have infiltrated the church and particularly at the seminary schools where where ministers are taught which is why they're taught not to teach prophecy and prehistory Then we, we start to understand that the churches are preparing people for the deceptions and we need to challenge back with scripture and we need to understand that the Gnostics approach is interpretive. And that means an allegorical approach. So just as they have all of these symbolisms and you need to be an adept to understand the true meanings, they look at the Bible the same way. So when you hear about an allegorical approach or interpretation to the Bible, you know that that's Gnostic doctrine. And it's either defined within the Bible, an allegory, or it's literal. But it's going to be literal no matter what, because the allegory, if it's from a literal approach, is defined within the Bible, not outside the Bible, which is where the Gnostics will bring in a lot of their allegory from. And so they tend to look at the Bible as a fairy tale. And as Tolkien and Lewis wrote, a eucatastrophe, which is a... Uh, happily ever after ending that's not true that makes the reader feel happy about the story and the fairy tale is a superficial story and the true meaning is in the words and the allegories and is hidden underneath so that when they call the bible a fairy tale uh, construct in terms of uh, literary writing uh, it's equivalent with the fairy tales taught to, to children, but understand that they're driving at the resurrection was the eucatastrophe, that it didn't happen, that it's an allegory. They'll drive away at things like Jesus's sign was being in the whale of Jonah for three days and three nights like Jonah was. And they'll say, well, you don't believe Jonah was actually in the whale. That's a that's a fable. That's a, a story story with the meaning it's a fairy tale with the meaning right and it's the meaning of it not the actual literal application and then they go from there in that allegorical approach to say well if the jonah tale is just an allegory then so is the resurrection because that was the sign that he provided for the generation and that's how they work away at things so now you move that forward to what the gnostics are doing within education within literature within the movie entertainment within the media. Everything is designed to do what the initial beginning of the mystical religions had for their agenda, and it began in the development of the seven sacred sciences, which we know as the seven liberal arts today, that were passed on to Cain from Adam, that Enoch, son of Cain, will develop into the seven disciplines, which becomes The basis for mysticism and they have to keep this knowledge secret within their secret societies which will have different branches on it you'll have the religion that's an initiatory organization you'll have secret societies that will do the agenda of the mystical religions and are initiatory and you have the mystery schools who develop the knowledge which are again Initiatory, and that's why you have all of these sort of houses that are on the universities today, uh, you know, like Beta House or whatever the name is going to be. And they also have secret societies that are amongst the universities as well, or Skull and Bones, and the Ivy League would be probably the best known of people. That is uh, you know designed to attract and and continue to develop people for the Illuminati, which is part of the secret society hierarchy and part of the bloodlines. And the agenda was to lead people away from God with with the sciences and the religion of the world. To, so number one, lead people away from God. Number two, not give God credit for anything. Those two things are absolutely core applications to everything that we see that is, is happening, that is out there. And the other thing that they want to do with, with their knowledge is not only to lead people away from God and not give God credit for anything and to slander God, but they also uh, they want to honour their pantheon of the gods. And that's why everything that they do is going to be embedded with their polytheist religion and the worship of of those gods so when we get into the fairy tales we're talking about bloodlines we're talking about all of these creatures that are out there that are only part of polytheism that tend to have demonic and or fallen angelic and or nephilim um, connections and, and an historical context to it and we're preparing our children with all of the nursery rhymes, all of the fairy tales, all of the television. They're led away from uh, God in schools. They're told the Bible is not accurate, that it's uh, interesting writing, but it's full of allegories. And so the whole world is against the island of monotheism and it's trying to brainwash people to bring them into that ancient religion and of course that's what the whole end time is about from a polytheist perspective is to finally introduce that sort of new age that they're proposing which is not going to be utopia it's going to be dystopia and disaster but that's not what they're selling people on and that's what that's what we need to remember and we need to understand the language that they talk in so without we can understand how prevalent the brainwashing is that is going on out there.
0: Yeah, you know, I see that a lot with, um, especially, you know, leading people away from God. We got the works of like Alice Bailey, um, you know, who wrote the 10-point plan for a New world order and how she's basically, you know, way back in the day, I think it was like in the 40s. It was right before the, I know her company, uh, it used to be called Lucifer Trust um, printed material for the United Nations. Well, she wrote, um, this thing called the 10 point plan for a new world order. And it talked about, you know, demoralizing the world, specifically the United States. And, uh, you know, it was just a complete attack on Christianity, you know, like make homosexuality legal and divorce common and things like this, like everything in her 10 point plan, um, we can see today happening in the world. And it's all to lead you against God. It's it's this huge plan that is in rebellion to the creator and his laws. And, you know, like you said about the uh, dystopia, right? They make it seem like it's going to be this utopia, but we know that it's only going to be a utopia for them. Uh, Me and Brian do a lot of work on uh, this organization called the World Economic Forum. And they are at the forefront, along with the United Nations and the Club of Rome, And changing and influencing the world's policies and influencing the not only leadership policies for countries but also corporations and ECT, you know, and then world banks and everything like that to bring to, to reshape the globe into this new sustainable utopia. That's what they make it sound like. But it's not gonna benefit us, it's only gonna benefit them. And they're just trying to like terraform the world. But they do it on so many different facets. There's, you know, political, there's the media, there's military, you know, everything that you, science, everything you can think of, they are transforming every single one of these uh, spheres that society basically runs off of to demoralize the world and bring in this this new world order. And it's all in rebellion against God. And we always look at these people um, and, and see what they're doing, but nobody really thinks about the spiritual warfare behind it. You know, the, the the principalities and powers, as Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, there are, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. These things are happening through the influence of angels, fallen angels and demons. And it's happening all around us in every single sec- section of humanity. In every way that we can be influenced, they've got their little hands on. You know, and when it comes to Gnosticism, we see in my opinion, you know, I say this a lot on the show, but, you know, like how in, Gnosticism has influenced the church and it's and it's kind of guiding us into accepting um, these false doctrines and uh, leading us away from the creator and sound doctrine. And um, I think that in my opinion that it really started and there might have been like one or two people before him, but when Augustine introduced um, a lot of his doctrines because he was a Manichaean for 10 years, so he was a Gnostic for at least a decade right and he brought in a bunch of false doctrines into the into the church that was widely accepted and then calvin and luther also were basically uh augustinian monks and took what he did they you know 1500 years later took the works of augustine and influenced even more people during the reformation and a lot of things that we believe today come from gnosticism and i won't get into you know all the different doctrines that are gnostic but my point being is that there is so much more Gnosticism involved in our lives and our theology and shaping the way that we view the Bible than would probably like to admit or even realize. And so being a contrarian like you are questioning and really doing your research is so important so that you don't get caught up in these deceptions that may end up losing you. You might end up losing your souls or you might be deceived in the end. You know, it's it's pretty wild how many different angles the enemy comes at you.
1: It's important to understand that. And so the Gnostics, they're not just trying to brainwash. They are trying, they are working all tactical angles against the Bible in terms of what it means and how they want to reinterpret it. And when it comes to eschatology or prophecy, they are actively working to. Change the chronology of end time prophecy to mix everybody up, and that's why you've got so many different approaches out there on eschatology is that it comes with a preconceived conclusion, and then what happens is you have to either leave out inconvenient passages or you have to reimagine as using their terminology different passages and then you have to do use a lot of allegory to make it work and if, if some people are into eschatology or prophecy that are listening to me or listening today, I would encourage people to look at you know a couple of things that might help a lot. And I have 10 points that I use for my approach. If people want to get a hold of uh, me, I'll, I'll send those 10 sort of quick bullet points that I use for guidelines. But for me, a couple of the most important ones other than I'll say three. One is is that the Bible is um, literal. Um, and that all the allegories is is defined within the Bible. So, and we talked about that earlier, but also that I put all prophecy around what Jesus said and and all doctrine around what Jesus said and not vice versa. Mm -hmm. And and, and don't apologize for any time for what Jesus said. He's the, he's the word of God and the spirit of prophecy and all things that we have in, 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 in the word of God come from the word of God. uh, Um, through God through to the word to us and so the the last thing is is don't leave out inconvenient passages Um, any approach that is not wanting to consider all any you know all of the different relative passages is there to misdirect and don't fall for things like there's a lot of and this to me is and and I know there might be some people who might take um, issue with me on this one, is that there's a notion out there that rapture's not in the Bible, just because that specific word isn't in the Bible, but there's words that produce the English word for rapture that are. So that's all, that would be sort of one of those examples of of misinformation. Um, And so we need to understand that they are attacking from all sorts of, of different levels. And that you're also correct that we've had this as part of the assault on Christianity, fighting it with the Jerusalem church. And if people are wondering what my distinction is on that, is is the Jerusalem church is the original church uh, that is established around what Jesus taught in Jerusalem with the disciples and the apostles that is then exported throughout the Roman Empire but the Roman church begins with Constantine, and then you have a homogenization of Mithraism and a little bit of uh, uh, Sol Invictus, which is kind of the two most popular religions of that time. And then you see some Egyptian imagery that sort of come in a- as well. And that is a homogenization for a state-sponsored religion that Constantine Um, wants to um, impose and he's looking at the Persian model which was Zoroastrianism, that Mithraism is a branch of that was used in the Persian empire to create a unified empire with a unified religion and he was just trying to do the same thing so whether or not he's Christian or not I don't know but what I do know is is the product was a watered down corrupted version with a lot of different things that wouldn't have been part of the Jerusalem church or what the apostles did uh, you can begin with things like Sunday right being the you know change well that's the resurrection day as opposed to what Jesus and the disciples celebrated for the Sabbath um, just I won't go into through the whole sort of litany of of all the different changes but you get sort of an idea that there's some changes there and that we see that continual project uh, progression with, the Manicheans and a lot of the uh, mystical religions kind of going underground for protection and and with the rise of this new state religion and some of the power that Catholicism is going to have and the doctrines that they're going to impose. Um, and again, I understand there's some watering down there, but the Manicheans are going to be molding themselves into the uh, the catholic religion and other polytheists are as well and they they will set up an organizational structure that is akin to what they came out of so the essenes would have been a polytheist group uh, of many like the Johannites and many other groups the sabians that were in the, the middle east the time in and around the time and before jesus and also afterwards and they were the first monastic order of the west based on the Eastern religions. And that's the same organizational structure that is adopted by the moles that are molding themselves into Christianity. And they they set up all of these monastic orders, whether it's the Augustinians or it's the Cistercians or all the different ones, and there's just so many of them, but they all have that same sort of organizational structure that have been affecting doctrine and policy of the church in rome ever since and that just continued. But even after protestantism when protestantism splits away they just get a new wave of these gnostics that are infiltrating so you need to understand the language of the gnostics and what they try and do so that you know what's going on a within your church and b what's going on within the world so anytime we get imagery that's about superheroes anytime you get imagery about fairies anytime you get imagery about greek mythology and all the different gods or atlantis this is all things that come and and even the alien mythos is connected it's just a different branch uh, with the ancient aliens and they're talking about the same history and the same kinds of people just they they reimagine the gods and the demigods as just advanced people as opposed to uh you know, describing them exactly who they are. They know at the top levels of those organizations how they're describing them just to deceive the masses. But we need to understand the language that they're utilizing and how they go about brainwashing people every day, so that they're more going to be easily prepared to accept the great delusions that will be coming in in as we get closer to the last seven years.
0: And then, Brian, do you got anything to say over there? man,
2: it's hard to render me speechless, man, but this is one of those, (laughs) so, no, you did, you answered a lot of what I had going on, and I'm sorry, I'd, like, grab a handful of stuff, throw it at the wall, see what sticks, you know, my mind is a, a endless chasm of insanity, trying to collect all these thoughts, and, like, pull them together, but, man, uh, I think you're exactly right about a lot of that. Even, you know, I mentioned the Gnostic influence on the secular circles, which, uh, is like dipping the net, you know, for the third time, but you're right. The, their, their first attack was on the church and, and we do see the, uh, attacks on, you know, the writing of Paul and, uh, you know, there's just so much that goes in with that as well. Just the attack on the church and, uh, and and, and the, I think you're right. They're just they're headed from every direction, you know, outside working in inside working out, you know, just trying to mislead and confuse that old serpent style, you know, that we see in the garden and we see in the temptation you know, just all this twisting of scripture and did God really say, and uh, and so no, I think you're hitting on a lot of those points, and I don't want to drag us uh, away from uh, anything that we're already rolling on, but I did also want to, uh, you know, at some point introduce some of the uh, research on CERN that you've done and how that maybe is tying into a lot of the stuff. I do think that there's a huge push for this, uh, the Mandela effect, right? Like, even my kids are, are bringing me examples and and I've covered in previous shows you know how um, a lot of those are easily ex- explained as misremembering things and and uh, a new movie that misquotes it and so you remember the new quote which is the misquote and not the old quote which was the real quote so that creates some of that confusion and and these concepts you know my uh, one of my daughters had mentioned have you heard of we all died in 2012 and there's just all these things, right, that I'm constantly having to to battle, but it gives me opportunity to break out Scripture and say, well, you know, here's what God really said. You know, that's what I would answer to the serpent. Did God really say? Well, no, here's what he really said, you know. So uh, I just <laughs> wonder what either of you guys think, how that uh, any of that pertains to uh, some of this misleading and deception that's going on. Well, I. I think it. I think it uh, feeds, uh,
1: you know, directly into it. So it's all part of the t- the tactics. So the way you get people to run into the open arms of the globalists is is to hit them from both ends and drive them into the arms of the of the polytheist globalists. And so they're going to hit at every angle that that they can. So touching on one of the points you were talking about how they go after Paul, they're going to have to absolutely destroy Paul to bring about the universal religion, because in their opinion, it's only Paul that raises Jesus to a deity status. I disagree with that in terms of the first, you know, four gospels, but that's, that's what they say. And it's not, doesn't matter whether I agree with what they say, it's what they believe and what they're doing with, with that, that sort of belief system. And so you have all of this other, theory, theologies that's just designed to create confusion that's out there, uh, to create con- more confusion out there and to be more open to accept, you know, the really crazy things that they're going to be um, pulling out as a, as we get closer to, to the last seven years. And CERN is one of those things that, you, you know, you had mentioned that is, you know, quite high profile, not only in the scientific community, not only in the news community, uh, but also in the Christian community. And we talked earlier that pretty much everything that the spurious forces do is marked with their allegories and their imagery. And so when people start to see these sort of demonic dances and these godlike and satyr-like figures that are going on and some of the celebrations that they have at CERN, understand they're only telling you their true belief system and what that ideology is driving them to do, which maybe I'll touch on here in a a couple of minutes. And CERN is thought to be an an acronym. Well, I'm sure it is, but it also has occult roots, and people might be surprised that there are gods in Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Druidic mythology that actually have the name CERN and Cernonos and a couple other different variations of that. That's a satyr goat god that's reminiscent of as Zazel or Shamiyaza. And I think they're one of the same angels, but that's a different rabbit hole. And that you have going on at this high tech place, this ultimate knowledge of the world. You have a coming together of quantum computing and you have AI working together. And it's developed probably a long ways since it's first started to, to work together. But quantum computing works in different dimensions that's what it's designed to do and ai allows quantum computing to search in many directions because quantum computing in its at least in its initial development was kind of like a single targeted shot at a time and they want to be able to search in multiple dimensions and multiple locations all the time so what you're seeing is a technology that is searching for something And you have a location for CERN that's also located, you know, above uh, a church that's associated with Apollyon and Apollo and uh, Azazel. Uh, which, again, is really no coincidence because they're going to locate all of their highly developed knowledge that comes out of the seven sacred sciences, the anti antediluvian knowledge that we're just catching up on today with things like quantum computing and AI and all the DNA and gene technologies that are utilizing out there. but. This location not only holds the imagery, uh, but also the technology to do their beckoning. And so it's not to do the superficial fairy tale research that they tell us that it's there for. Um, They're actually looking, I think, for two different things. One is, is, can they find the location of the abyss? Because the abyss is, is is the prison where, as the Bible tells us, that the fallen angels talked about in 2 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3 uh, are locked into. The ones that created the giants before the flood, and likely again after the flood, depending on how you want to define how giants show up after the flood. And that it is also the home, as Ezekiel 32 talks about, as the home of the terrible ones, which are the worst of the Nephilim and the worst of the Rephaim. And if people aren't familiar with who the Rephaim are, they are the giants that are recorded uh, after the flood. So giant only goes back to Nephilim Three times in the Bible, once in Genesis 6:4 with the initial creation of the giants, and then in Numbers 13-33 with the embellished part of the report that is, you know, describing the veracity of the antediluvian giants, but it's not antediluvian giants in terms of Nephilim that the Israelites are encountering. They're encountering the Anakim at Deuteronomy 2, calls giants, it goes back to the Hebrew word. Rapha or Raphaim is the male plural and the tribe of giants show up in Genesis 14 as Raphaim in Genesis 15 and part of the land that God is promising Abraham so you see the Raphaim as a word showing up that goes back to the same root word of Rapha which means a tribe of giants. Um, And yes, there's two other words that are related to it. Rafa 7496, which is uh, for a demon spirit and a shea uh, and a ghost and 7495, which is for uh, medicine healing. And it's also thought that the giants had a self healing quality, which is why you had to take their head. But the only other time the word giant shows up in the king james version bible that doesn't go back to nephilim or Rephaim is in the book of job where it has a giant that is described that goes back to the word gibbereme which is used to describe the nephilim in genesis 6 4. so the Rephaim are the ones that show up 25 times as it's used in the old testament after the flood nephilim tend to be only used in reference in numbers 13:33 to before the flood and then before the flood in genesis 6:4. both were giants the worst of these were the terrible ones both the nephilim and the rephaim and these are the ones that produced the beast empires and the nobility elite after the flood as well as before the flood and the ones that were slain that were the terrible ones that's talked about in isaiah and ezekiel they went to the sides of the abyss and these are the ones that are speaking to Pharaoh in Ezekiel 32. So, and I have a great series on Ezekiel 32, on the terrible ones. If people want to get a hold of me uh, through my website, I'll send you those documents. Um, so th- these are who they're searching for searching for their gods they're searching for their original patriarchs that started their bloodlines and their nobility and the nephilim world order that we saw before the flood and then recreated again after the uh, flood with with the raphaim world order that produced the beast kingdoms that are going to bring about the end time now in the end time oh i'm the worst of the uh, the demons are, and the worst of the Nephilim, which are the demon spirits, and the fallen angels were put into the abyss or the bottomless pit, as, as it's also described, Old Testament and New Testament, depending on which translation that you're reading. That's in the earth, as it's described, and in the underworld. And... It's thought that the abyss is in a different dimension in the underworld. So the abyss is in the underworld, which we would know in Greek as Hades, as it talks about hell, which is a conflated term uh, that holds Sheol, which is the underworld in Hebrew or Hades, as it is in Greek and the abyss or the bottomless pit and the lake of fire. They're all conflated in the English word hell, and they should be sort of distinguished, but they're not in the English translation, which makes things a little bit confusing. But understand that the abyss is in the underworld in another, another dimension. And with quantum computing and artificial intelligence, I think they're looking for that abyss so that they can bring about the end time before the ordained time is what they're trying to do. And they're trying to let Azazel and all of the, uh, and as, as he's called in the New Testament, Apollyon and Abaddon and all of the other fallen angels that come out and the demons that come out just before the midpoint of the last seven years in Revelation 9, when that abyss is open, they're trying to bring that about sooner. The other thing that I think that they're looking for is what they call the god particle, which is the allegory. The word that is more typically used in the occult would be the atma particle. That's A-T-H-A-M-H-T-H-A or M-A, I'm sorry. Um, Sometimes A-T-M-A and little H is left out. So you might see some different spellings on that. That comes out of the... uh, Hindu Upanishads and Vedas that is very important to scientists who began quantum computing. Uh, that they said to understand quantum computing, you need to understand the Upanishads and what it has to say about uh, dimensions and quantum mechanics and things like that. And in those writings, they talk about the Atma particle. This is an invisible particle that they're looking for, and it merges with what with particles that could be measured, where the Yatma particle, that's invisible, they can't measure it, they're trying to find it, whereas at the subatomic level, they can uh, locate particles through different scientific methods. And it merges with the particle, and this is the source of all knowledge. That works through quantum entanglement in their belief system that is instantly transmitted around the universe that they're trying to access to and they want that knowledge so that they can provide the second portion to Godhood in the end time and and with them it's two things is one is that uh, you have to be immortal. And the other one is you have to have unlimited knowledge and access to it. And they want to be able to bring immortality with what they're going to be doing with DNA technology, implants, and this unlimited knowledge with the new beast technology system of implants that will come in down the road. It's still developing. And it's akin to what was offered Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember, she had immortality already because she had access to the Tree of Life, as did Adam. And now the serpent is saying, then Nakash is saying to Eve that surely you won't die if you eat it, which was a lie, because they, they ended up being ostracized from Eden and no longer had access to the tree of love life. And secondly, you would be like God, all knowing, not just the knowledge God had provided. And he would have provided a lot of knowledge to work this incredibly large area that went from the Euphrates to the Nile River and and beyond um, that had all sorts of animals, herds, cattle, all sorts of crops, all sorts of orchards. And there was just Adam in the beginning and then just Eve after that. So they would have had to have knowledge and technology to have looked after all of that. But now the serpent is offering both the knowledge of good and evil, and it's not that knowledge is evil, it's how it's applied that will make it good or evil. And understanding good or evil is, is sort of the virus that sort of gets let into this knowledge that Adam and Eve have been taught. This is the knowledge that will be passed on to Cain that will develop the mystical languages down down or the mystical religions down the road. And so the offer is is for that God in the physical world, godhood in terms of immortality that they're going to be offering that Adam and Eve once had, because if you understand their terminology, they want to introduce the new Edom, which is the new age, which is the age of Aquarius that they want to reintroduce, the the counterfeit millennium. And they also have to offer unlimited knowledge, which is where this Atma particle comes in. So this has to be kind of in place for them, for the mark of the beast system to come into, into place. And that they wanted to bring that about before the last seven years. And what's also kind of interesting is is that when I look at what happens after the flood, you have Nimrod who is building Babel Tower that is supposedly going to be able to reach right into the heavens, which is physically impossible. And we understand Babel as being, you know, confusion of languages. But if we also understand that Nimrod was the first Grand Master Freemason after the Flood, and he was fed this knowledge by uh, that was before the Flood from the knowledge that Hermes found under the, the Great Pyramids and passed that on to Nimrod to build Babel City, build Babel Tower, start developing this knowledge, perhaps Babel Tower is more than just a tower. And what's interesting is in the land of the Akkadians, which is our descendants of Nimrod after Babel, uh, the Akkadians look at Babel or Babalu, which would be more accurate transliteration. I L U is the same as E L. It's just a different transliteration, as is A L, as in Baal. E L means God, so, so does I L, I L U, and it can mean an angel, and it can also mean the supreme God, the God most high. And Bab in Akkadian, that means A L or I L U or E L means God, and Bab means a gateway. And I think what Nimrod was trying to do, now that he had a universal religion, that's mysticism that is developed from the knowledge that Hermes brings, and he has universal sway as an archetype, Antichrist-type figure, he now wants to bring out, through a portal-type system, a gateway into the underworld to free the... Prisoners that are locked into the abyss, the 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 worst of the demons or the worst of the Nephilim, their demon spirits, and the uh, the fallen angels who committed the crimes against humanity and the crimes against creation um, were that were locked into the abyss. And so that the technology that Nimrod would have had would have had to have been at that level if that's the case. And we get a hint of that knowledge, A, with the city that's being built and the tower that's being built, and that God tells us that anything working as one people that they intend to do, they're going to be able to do. So there's a a massive development of this knowledge and thus the dispersion of the language until the end time when we get the new Babel, the new Babylon that's coming in place to bring about Antichrist.
0: I know that was a long rant, but I I kind of got on a roll, I think no that's great we love it man and i was gonna say too is uh one of their and correct me if i'm wrong but one of the you know seven sacred sciences is alchemy which you know on the outside seems to be turning objects into gold but on a spiritual level it seems to be turning man into a god like uh, apotheosis basically right and one of their main goals is to turn man into god and like you said to become immortal You know, I think that ties into a lot is that one lie in the Garden of Eden, he promises that we would be as gods. Satan deceives Eve, and and that's one of his promises, right? And as you explained, you know, that lie turned us into a mortal, meaning that now that we can die, we do not live forever. I think that's one of the main objectives um, on many different levels, even transhumanism and into the, the occult and through technology in general is trying to turn man into a god. Is that correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, They believe that every person, at least the people who have the spark of the divine, as they would call it, or the thousand points of light, as they like to allegorize into their political speeches that they're searching for. They want to collect that spark of the divine because that will transcend everybody as being a little god that they are within to an actual physical god. But their godhood is in the physical world just as the original nephilim were created as demigods as offspring of angels and human females they created in the physical world an immortal being with a counterfeit spirit and that's what they're offering or going to be trying to offer in the end time again what they can offer is is true immortality that can go in any sort of dimension and be and be permitted to be in 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 heaven they can only offer some sort of Godhood in the physical world and who knows that just may be extended life it may not be forever but they turn it into this this immortality you understand it's not the same thing that God is offering that you're right. going to be able to be going into heaven or anywhere that you want to go in the new body that's in the likeness of Jesus that can go into the spiritual realm into heaven you know when the Nephilim died, and the Raphaim died, their physical bodies did, but their demonic spirit did not. And it wasn't permitted to sleep like humans. They're not part of the resurrection. So everything you hear about reincarnation and ghosts, this is all occult stuff about the demonic spirits. It has nothing to do with the humans. Mm -hmm. All humans sleep and will be resurrected to whatever uh, one that you're going to fit in. Um, and some to everlasting life, but there will be multiple resurrections. And that the occult polytheist belief as being bloodlines of the Rephaim and the Nephilim is is that their spirit doesn't sleep and they're not permitted into heaven. So they have to create a godhood within the physical world. And so these demonic spirits are going to have to require a body in the end time, whether it's a clone body or it's transhumanism or some other format. They need a place that's called an oiketarian, uh, which is a dwelling place for the spirit. And the oiketarian is a word that shows up twice in the New Testament in Jude 1, 6, when uh, the angels left their habitation. That is the uh, Greek word oiketarian. That means a dwelling place for the spirit. And the other place that shows up is in 2 Corinthians 5, 2. when it's talking about the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle, and that the house that is in heaven, that's also the word oiketerion. And just as Jesus says that there's many rooms in their house in heaven, that would be a dwelling place for the spirit. And so when they left the spirit realm and their dwelling place or their oiketerion in the heavenly realm, if they want to interact physically in the physical realm, then they need to take a physical body, which is a soul and a body which the spirit would merge into and that is why we are, were told in the new testament there's a spirit a soul and a body and that is also how they would be able to transmit their dna to reproduce in the physical world with human females um, and attributes that would probably belong in many cases to the fallen angels would be passed on to the giants that that they had produced and so this is the oikotarian and these demons need a place of rest They thirst for a place of rest if they're not in the abyss, or if they're not already in the underworld and they're roaming the earth, just as Jesus encountered these demons, right? And they need to possess a body because they need an oiketarian. They're going to need that in the end time, and they're using the technologies as we catch up with the days of Noah to create that oiketarian for them to participate in the last seven years
0: yeah that's what uh, I'm gonna give you a minute to uh speak to Brian um but I just want to say real quick is I think that AI has a big part of or this whole AI movement at, at least is creating this big push to create an artificial body for in my opinion it's gonna be used for demons to dwell in because like you said they need a body and they possess humans they can possess animals but if you create an ai this this synthetic human being um if you want to go that far with it it's it's the perfect and i mean absolutely the most it's so perfect for a vessel that these demons could use to inhabit because they're able to do what they would do without the burden of burden of possessing a human being you know they, they'd be able to use it like as if they were using a human being but they wouldn't have that struggle for the soul there they would have a perfect vessel to use that's just speculation, but that that's kind of like what I see
2: for sure, and I mean, look at revelation nine six right, and how we think that that would probably fit in that men would seek death and not be able to find it. It would flee from them, you know, and we've talked in the past, Jeremy, I was listening to a researcher who had mentioned you know what if a i had been here the whole time? what if everything all the CERN and it's just an act to try to uh you know develop this thing that really Uh, They can't explain it. It's always been here. It's definitely nefarious. But how would you explain that to someone in a good way? Well, you tell them we're trying to build and perfect this AI and oh, look, now it's become sentient. And what really if... All along, we've been trading, you know, for knowledge uh, and technology, and what we've been building is the body that they needed all along.
0: Yeah, and you know that the whole AI movement and transhumanism, uh, specifically, like also D Wave and stuff like that, it has a huge connection to the occult. How many times have you heard, um, you know, even just the word demons or de- uh, or entities being brought up in that type of research? You know, it's always mentioned in some oh, way. Petitron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what? I was just watching the other day, uh, it was uh, yesterday, the day before, uh, Marvel, um, I think it was the Avengers Age of Ultron. And I was like, holy smokes, you know, the Internet of Things building this AI that has essentially becomes the Antichrist. And I was like, that is so plausible, it's not even funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they insert that third
2: eye into this red guy and he kind of lifts up and starts levitating off the ground. I mean it was really occultic that uh picture of vision, you know, becoming the the sentient version of that AI and kind of an embodiment. And yeah, there was huge the world kind of yeah, and then of course it's saving the world, right? And we get all that in Marvel, I'm sure. Uh Gary can expound upon a lot of that stuff as well just how they uh, i've heard him speak on superman and, and the occult origins and it's all right there in front of your face they don't hide mm-hmm. it at all do
1: they? well yeah and i just also wanted to touch on that point where the demons don't want to be wrestling a human host right uh that's right. why possession is such a a violent sort of affair because there's this war going on so they they're either going to need some sort of thing that can house them in technology as an Oikotarian, transhumanism or something where it's a combination of human and other parts or it's got to be a complete shell of a body that's just got the you know the soul and and uh, the body that they can go in and not have that sort of war that that's going on and you know that is part of the superhero mantra as well right where you have these Transhuman types of beings, you know, started when I was young with a six million dollar man. Right. And that's really what transhumanism is that they're trying to build. And all the superhumans, superheroes, they go back to the original. The original Nephilim and the original Rephaim. These are heroes of old, as some of the English translations would translate the mighty ones in Genesis 6.4 that would describe the Nephilim or the giants as it shows up in Genesis 6.4, which goes back to the word Nephil and the I am male plural. And hero was understood in antiquity, in ancient times, as being the offspring of of a god and a human female just as demigod is understood as the offspring of a, a god and a human female so these terms are kind of synonymous So when you hear about heroes in greek mythology like Hercules, who is the offspring of Zeus and a human female, and or at Atlas, who is the offspring of Poseidon and uh, Clymene or Clytos depending on which version that you're reading, another human female. These were Titans of the earth and heroes of the earth, and they would have had superhuman characteristics other than the size of their body. And these were. These just weren't little in, you know, individuals. They, they weren't just seven feet tall. I mean, these were monstrous creatures uh, that dwarfed humankind. Uh, some people, you know, say before the flood they may be as big as a hundred feet. I think probably twenty to forty feet but that's huge compared to the average human in ancient history of being five to six feet tall. And even Gog is uh, King Og is on a bed that would make him, that's nine cubits long on a royal cubit that would be over 16 feet. So he's somewhere between 12 to 15 feet tall. His bed is twice the width. And the ideology there is, is that they are two to one on the height to width ratio as the bed is very close to that, because it's four cubits wide. So it's either going to be Uh, six feet wide or seven feet wide depending on whether or not you're using a common cubit of 18 inches or 21 inches for a royal cubit and this is king log so i'm using the longer length and so he would have been somewhere between five to six feet wide and so when you see the word stout that's used in the Old Testament and particularly in in the book of Isaiah where these individuals are strong and like uh as they're called with the terrible ones in in the book of Isaiah you're going to take that back to the word Azaz which is rooted in Azazel which is one of the patriarchs of of the uh of the fallen angels that created Nephilim before the flood and that means stout, not as in chubby, but as in strong. And so these beings were huge, but they would have also, with that DNA transfer, that the angels taking a physical body would have transferred other superhuman powers onto. And that's what you see reflected in the superheroes. Uh, Whether or not they could fly or what the extent of it is, we don't know. And they would have taken on traits that would have looked like their procreators. So a lot of the Watchers were Seraphim. And you tend to get um, serpent-looking villains in a lot of the superheroes. You get bird-like ones, which is thought to be Cherubim, one of the faces being an eagle. So they Anunnaki. So when you see cherubim you're seeing them shown in a few different forms like the sphinx uh, which one face or the cherubs that uh, you know comes from the word cherub or vice versa which will have one of the faces of the cherub but they also have this eagle face that they're shown in in, in sumerian glyphs and so you get batman you get robin you get all of these bird superheroes uh, with the uh, kisha they have the Zabalba. Uh, which were owl-like looking bird demigods, so giants. And there was the house of Kamazots, which is the house of the bat, and the bat uh Nephilim that were there, or the bat Rephaim, as if if they were post diluvian in, in the Kishemaya uh, account in the Popol Vuh. And you get lion men in in the Bible, the lion men of Moab and the lion like men of Gad and Ariok, which is the king of one of the giants in uh, Genesis 14 in the War of Giants, which means lion like. These are warrior beings that are created in the likeness of the gods that created them. So you've got gods like Nergal that show up in the Bible, which have a lion face and are associated with the Avim, for example. Uh, you have Nebaz, which is the barking god and you get dogmen and dog probably nephilim that would come from maybe gods like anubis or nebaz as as we get the barking god in in the bible and so you get all these different kinds of superheroes that were in the past that the superheroes of the future are here to do and you get good nephilim and bad nephilim just as hercules fought The evil giants, the evil uh, heroes. Uh, And so you have that duality in polytheism, just as you see that showing up in the superheroes. But the classic one for me is one of the first superheroes, which is Superman. And he's a superhero, of course, and he comes from the House of L. You've got uh, him and his father's name is Durel and jor And so this is the House of L. and he's an uh, immortal Superman who can fly. This is the House of the Gods, the House of the Fallen Angels that produces him. And he's a Messiah-like individual that's here to save the world. And one sort of takes from that analogy, you might look for a... Raphaim and or a Nephilim or both pedigree in Antichrist, because all of their literature and all of their imagery would suggest that there's a pedigree to the Antichrist that's going to go back to the Raphaim and back to the Nephilim and back to the fallen angels.
0: Wow. Yeah, you know, it's pretty it's crazy how, how it all ties in, though. Nothing that we research um, when it comes to, you know, culture or, uh, or why things are the way they are, none of it makes sense without a biblical worldview. It all does truly go back to the word of God. And, uh, you know, speaking about that, you know, we always talk about the world banks and uh, the elite quite a bit. And I know you've done a lot of research in the bloodlines. Um, I don't know. How much time do you have left, Gary? Just just curious. He may have had to
2: step away for a minute and trusted us to ramble on. And so uh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that. Uh, I was having a drink of water. <laughs>
0: I would not sneak
2: away.
1: Yeah, I, I can go for another. I can go for another 30 minutes.
0: Okay. Um, so, well, if we got the time, uh, I think a big part of uh, the Truther movement, right, is we have this big community that really knows like what's going on with the World Banks and the elite and this one world order that uh, they are trying to achieve. Um, but in my Personal experience because I was one of these guys. Um, they they can acknowledge all day long that all these things are truly happening around us, um, but they do not connect it back to the biblical worldview. And um, you know what I'm trying to get at is you've done a lot of uh, research on on bloodlines, and I didn't know if you had any time to explain maybe about some of the bloodlines that the world elite or or banking families have that tie back into the the nephilim bloodlines yeah it's a it's a terrific question
1: and so you know when we look at the globalist uh, organizational structures and particularly when it applies to the banking world and and money and things like that um, this is has a, a has a tie-in to the bloodlines in, in, in a number of different ways. So I don't care whether you're talking about IMF or the World Bank or all these different sort of organizations, but it's, there, and there's a hierarchy to the secret society. So the organization that I'm going to talk about is, is the uh, committee of 300. So below the committee of 300 is um, the Rosicrucians, which are 50% pure bloods, uh, and, the, and the bottom level is sort of ones that are coming up that are lower sort of Bloodlines below the Rosicrucians are the Illuminati, below them are Freemasonry as we go up this Thelmic trunk, as they like to call it. Um, and above the Committee of 300 is the Council of 33, and then 13 families, which will tie into the larger global uh, families, which is also thought to be 13 around the world. Now, the Committee of 300 are 300 bloodline families just as the 33 families above are bloodlines and then the 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 13 european families at the top so the committee of 300 is kind of an allegory that sort of goes back to mount olympus and 300 olympians and has a number of mythological meanings that sort of ties back to that but this is um, a very high-up organization that controls the Club of Rome, which was mentioned earlier, that has divided the world up into 10 groups of nations. We may not end up with that same sort of roadmap, but that's what they're trying to drive, and and world government with those 10 groups of nations, uh, 10 individual groups, so a trading block, a sphere of influence, uh, an empire. So when you see those 10 kings of the 10 toes, uh, look for 10 groups of uh, nations coming together that will form that, those 10 kings, which will have one representative that are subservient to the universal religion until the midpoint of the last seven years when they hand over their power to Antichrist to destroy Babylon, and he sets up the eighth end-time empire. And so these 300 families uh, are bloodline families of the noble elite in the West that take their genealogies back to the Raphaim and the Nephilim and, and the Fallen Angels. And whether or not it's Davos or the IMF or the Club of Rome or any any of the global reset organizations, they all are being directed by, uh, and the Bilderbergers as well, are all being directed by the Committee of 300. And so when we look at banking, for for example, Um, and most people might be familiar with with the Rothschilds. They were the Bauer family before they opened the London Bank in about somewhere between 1810 and 1812, and they changed their name to the Rothschilds of the Red Shield, which is another allegory uh, for, for their belief system and their bloodline. And they were made powerful by the royal masons which are the royal bloodlines as opposed to freemasonry the royal masons are the ancient masons and the bloodlines that come down through history and they were the ones who formed the knights templar who were the central portion of secret societies and bloodline organizations before their fall and then this whole whole decentralized organizational structure that I described as a tree and a filmic tree to be specific, and I'll I talk about that in my new book, Thelmic Tree, um, that will be coming out uh, hopefully in the next six months or so. And they've decentralized it so that one organization can't be brought down, that they would they would be able to continue to to survive. And so this is a very high level organization that is controlling all of the economics of the world, setting up the reserve banks around the world, all trying to bring in this global reset that's going to require the U.S. to be brought down to be an average nation. And they've been working at this for a long time, so they're very frustrated. That's why you see Biden so very, very angry all the time, because even he can't move this thing forward. Not that he, he's competent enough to do it, but he's not able to move it forward, and he shows his anger there in terms of not being able to get things done on, on a regular basis. And they're trying to bring about the end time before the ordained time. But until the restrainer is removed, they can push all they want, but it's not going to happen until the ordained time. And so you have uh, these bloodlines that are running the banks. And the Rothschilds were the main bankers of the secret societies who then, as the U.S. was being set up as a country, uh, they are infiltrating the U.S. and setting up families like the Rockefellers. Like the Morgans, um, like um, the uh, Carnegies, they're all stable agents for the uh, for the uh, Rothschilds, and still report to them to this day. These are the pseudo. Bloodlines uh, that are trying to intermarry and become more ennobled as they go. But they're all part of the same sort of organizational structure that is trying to create the beast system. So when you look at the World Economic Forum or Davos, uh, you see reflections of what they're trying to bring into place, whether or not it's the implant system they're talking about since 2017 that they said would be the best way to deliver the implant system is through the healthcare system, and then magically you see digitally um, digital technology being applied to cures for pestilence that we saw in, in, in the last pestilence over the last few years. This is all, all going to be part of that beast system that they're trying to assemble. This is all part of Babylon, the universal religion that's going to be coming together that rides those 10 kings that are reporting to babylon and she is going to set up this beast system so babylon is not only a universal religion it's also a city it's also a geopolitical organization and it's also a beast system and a economic society just as she grows rich uh, for all the trade in the world it will actually set up the beast system to be put in place for antichrist to take over and all of these technologies that we're talking about earlier whether it's ai quantum computing Put in uh, cryptocurrency. All of the technologies that are out there are converging into this implant system that the Council of 300 is is uh, sponsoring for the development of the of the world government that they want to bring upon. So that's sort of a quick. Sort of overview of how bloodlines interconnect with what we see going on with the globalist and the economic uh, aspect of globalism
0: that's going on today. Yeah, see, that's that's one of the most important things to realize uh, for for those within the quote unquote you know truther movement because they always tend to realize that yeah the banking system and the banking elite they're they're all trying to you know, bring the world into this globalist, uh, one world government and, uh, you know, but they always leave out the fact that it all ties back to the Bible. And I think that those who are searching for the truth, like I was one day, um, that none of this makes any sense without a biblical worldview. And that, you know, knowing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and that his word is true, and that everything in there um, gives us the framework of what's happening today. And, you know, even in the past, Uh, It all ties back to the fact that his word is true and that Jesus Christ is our only savior. And even as much as Davos wants to claim they're going to save the world uh, (laughs) through the World Economic Forum, uh, it's just not going to happen. And this whole global reset that they're they're trying to do, um, it's going to last for a short period. And God's going to come back and he's going to destroy it all. And he's going to set up the true great reset eventually with a new heavens and a new earth. And he will rule. And it will be this utopia that that they're trying to achieve, but will ultimately fail and probably will will not not look like anything compared to uh this new millennial kingdom that will happen um but in your research, you're a big prophecy buff, and I know that you're working on this new book that's all about prophecy, and I just like to get your opinion on uh where we're at on the timeline and where you think that we're headed. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. So I
1: do not think we're in the last seven years yet. I do believe that we're in the fig tree generation that Jesus talks about as one of his three overarching signs, which are the beginning of sorrows, which are the birth pangs, which you need to really understand ripple through all of uh, the end time prophecy. Um, and you have the days of Noah, and you have the fig tree generation, and the fig tree generation is a specific generation for the end time, and I think we're in that fig tree generation, and just as Jesus killed the fig tree before entering into the temple, um, and before just before giving uh the the oration of the signs of the end times he is basically using that as an allegory because judah the southern kingdom is the fig tree in prophecy and that tree was no longer bearing fruit and then thereafter he kills the fig tree and then he goes in and he talks about the temple and everything being overturned and then You have the oration on the end times because the disciples are very interested in what a second coming in the end times are going to look like. Jesus uses that reference as the fig tree generation, that when you see it bloom uh, and, and, and alive again and back in the covenant land, that that is likely fig tree generation that we're talking about. And I look at Jerusalem as being the epicenter of end-time prophecy, which they took back in 1967. So we don't know how long a generation exactly is in terms of that generation, and it doesn't have to go to a full generation. I think 1967 and the taking of Jerusalem would be the setting, if we are indeed in the fig tree generation would be the start of it because it's in the covenant land it's in 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 judah's possession right now and we get three time frames for a generation in the bible in the book of exodus you get 40 years in the book of the psalms you get 70 and in genesis 6 3 you get 120 years um that life is limited to after the creation of the immortal giants in genesis 6 1 through 4 so genesis 6 3, 120 years so I think 70 to 120 years is more likely, but it doesn't have to go the full distance on that. So I think we're in the beginning of sorrows. I think uh, the sorrows are the birth pangs uh, of the travail before the end time is completed. And and they get stronger with intensity as, as we go through. And we're starting to see pestilence. We're starting to see wars and rumors of war and the forming of maybe those 10 Groups of nations with what's going on with Russia and what's going on in Germany today what's going on with India what's going on with China we also have uh you know the North American group anyways you see these things these these, you can see these groups of nations starting to 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 form and so the other you so in the birth pangs you have wars and rumors of war earthquakes pestilence, and famine. And they're all, I think, contrived. In other words, caused by all of the beings within the physical uh, universe um, and is going to be driving towards the end time with these catastrophes. And that that's going to continue and get more often and more severe. We haven't seen all of these working in companion with each other, but I think that we will um, in time because they're all related. And I think that that's where we're at. Things could happen quickly as catastrophes sort of heat up, but we're not at the opening of the seals yet. Uh, and things are going to get worse even before we reach the opening of the seals, which I think happens very close to the time of the, of the last seven years and maybe just a touch before. And that tribulation will continue to increase um with with the birth pangs as well just as revelation 2 9 and 10 uh talk about a tribulation of 10 days just as there's one week of years which is a day uh, of a week there's seven days in a week so seven years as daniel nine twenty seven talks about the last seven years or the time of the end which is the hebrew word meaning end time, that are reserved for all prophecy and vision to be fulfilled and for the Holy One Jesus to be anointed at the end of those seven years. You have 10 days of tribulation, which I think is describing the rise of Babylon, and then you have the tribulation of the saints in the first three and a half years and the tribulation of the world in the last three and a half years. And that we're just starting to maybe look over the horizon to see the rise of Babylon, the rise of the 10 kings. And I think it's going to take the universal religion to bring about the 10 kings. And I think it's going to bring take the universal religion to bring about the sacrifice to go on a wing of the temple an extremity of the temple, an overspreading of the temple, depending on which English translation that you're reading for for that prophecy. Because I don't think Islam is going to permit Judah to uh, do their daily sacrifices on a wing, no matter what happens, unless there's a universal religion and there's the catastrophe and the false prophets to bring about that universal religion. So I think we're just starting to see that sort of coming together right now. And that things seem to be picking up in steam And so I would be looking to see more things on the universal religion and the false prophets level and on the wars and the rumors of war. And uh, as as we start to to move on in in
0: short order, if we are in need in the fig tree generation. Amen to that. I agree, brother. Honestly, it seems like it's almost speeding up a bit. They have so many plans and I know it's all on God's time, but they have so many uh, agendas they would like to achieve by 2030. And uh, it seems like they're picking up pretty quickly here. Well, they are. And, you know, what a lot of people don't
1: understand is is you have that sort of east-west and you have the uh, those five kings on each side. And we see, you know, China and Germany, Germany starting to rise. I think they're going to go with their energy requirements to the east and split off from the EC, just my speculation. And you see India, who's basically buying all their oil and their they're going to go with that whole sort of group. They have their own currency that they want to introduce. They're forcing people to buy in their own currencies right now, but they have yeah. a currency they want to replace the U.S. currency with. They have their own World Bank. They have their own credit card system. They are going to be that clay, one of part of the allegories of clay mixing with iron, that is this end-time empire is going to have two halves that don't exactly mix. And it's more than just... Uh, The East and the West, but look for that as part of the meaning to the five kings on each toe each foot as as that starts to come together.
0: Well, Brian, you got any, we got like nine minutes. You got anything else? You got any
2: last questions? Well, you know, I would look at one more thing. You know, it's, it's uh, interesting when you look at Revelation and everybody has their own kind of approach. They either look at it like, wait a minute, that's way too confusing. Is this the bowl? Is this a Trump? Is this a seal? Is this a, you know? But then also uh, the other approach, you know, which people just dive right in and really can start to break that down and sometimes even try to put a date on things. So I wouldn't push anybody to do that. But also we see... You you know, everybody points at this. Is this the mark? Is that the mark? It was a social security number. Then it was a barcode. And now sometimes a certain medical procedure. And and I would just wonder, you know, what can each individual person do, in your opinion, Gary, you know, to just kind of be ready and to uh, not fall for these deceptions? And what do we look right. for when it comes to the mark as well? Yeah, and let's
1: look at things as still developing uh, is the first thing. Let's not get ahead of end time biblical chronology. The thing I would recommend to people to do is get very familiar with Matthew 24 and then put Mark 13 and Luke 17 and 21 on top of uh, what Matthew 24 talks about. It has a few more details in it, but I like Matthew 24 as the platform. We know Jesus is providing us a chronology because you have the Greek word, um, oh geez, I can't think of it, but it's the word that's used for then um and it is it take it goes back to a greek word that means at that time so we get a, a chronological order uh that jesus is providing if you put everything around what jesus said and not vice versa things tend to fall into place and if we take into the overarching signs that jesus talks about we can get a better understanding so If we look at the birth pangs, they're going to get stronger with these catastrophes, and they're the same catastrophes that show up in Revelation 6, which has 25% destruction of the world. So anything that we see before is going to be bad, but until it hits the seal openings, 25% is the number um, down the road. And then after that, it's 33% with the trumpets, and then it would be 100% with the wrathful. So you see how that birth pain progresses just as the tribulations will progress as you go forward and so you can actually overlay revelation onto uh, matthew 24 and get the details sort of in in an order you're not going to get the exact dates and right up to the point of revelation 14 you're getting essentially events that are happening up to the midpoint of the last seven years And then in Revelation 14, at about verse 9 or 10, you're going to get a summary of the last three and a half years. And then you're going to get the details of that that, that that are going to follow. And that will start to give you, if you allow it, a chronology that Jesus laid out for us so that we can be better sort of prepared for things and everything sort of fits in place. And my research indicates that Anytime you're using Jesus's template, you do not get any inconvenient passages that do not fit. They all fit in and you just have to sort of work at that to to prepare. And so it can bring it won't tell you everything, but it will bring a sense of where we are in the in the prophetic cycle. If we are indeed in, in the fig tree generation, I think we are. But until we start to see more of these events coming together and actual fulfillment of specific prophecies, we have to be we have to be careful and we have to be careful not to predict dates. And if we do that, then we're going to be able to communicate things in a way that is understandable and credible. Uh, The last thing we want to do is lose our credibility. If we lose our credibility in terms Presenting prophecy, then the other side will have won a big victory and they will be able to deceive more people. What we're trying to do is role model as Christians and be as accurate as we can and transparent as we can to entice people to ensure that their names are not going to be erased from the book of life. And that's what we need to work harder on. Uh, And if we get too flamboyant, too specific in terms of specific dates which is a mistake of massive proportions in my opinion we lose our credibility so if people are looking to do what to prepare put on the armor and god learn scripture and my advice would be is, is to start relying more on what jesus said and not what other people say and put all prophecy around what jesus said and not vice versa and things are going to start to become a little more clear
0: Absolutely agree, and uh, you know we're at the top of the hour, but I just want to let you know, you know, it's it's been an honor and a blessing to have you on our show, man. And uh, hopefully we can do this again at some point because you know you're an encyclopedia in my opinion of information, and uh, you know I think that we could have you back on and talk about plenty of other subjects and topics, man, that I think will edify the body of Christ, which is the most important thing, you know, that that we need to do, and that's basically what this show is all about. So, um, I want to give you a chance before you hop off uh, to just give yourself a plug one more time where people can reach you and all that good stuff. I will.
1: And that word I was reaching for that wasn't coming for me, that's used as then in 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 Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the Greek word tote that it goes back to t o t e s as it's transl- transliterated into English Um and that means at that time. So if people are wanting to get a hold of me, um, you know, want to ask me a question. Um, would like some more information on something like a document get a hold of me through the genesis6conspiracy.com that's genesis6 the number six conspiracy.com and on the website there's a contact the author um, if you want to get a hold of me and if you uh, want to have a little closer look at the book that i've written i have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters on the website and if you wanted to buy a copy of the book because you like what I what I had said today or you like what you read in, in the excerpts from, from the table of contents, um, then you can buy a book directly from me on by hitting the buy now item and you can get a signed copy from me or you can link over on that same page to uh, the digital version for kindle or you can link over to barnesandnoble.com or to amazon.com or amazon.ca and if you're living uh, overseas i have an overseas page as well where you can buy that copy directly from me if it's not available with amazon in your part of the world so um, you can still buy it from me through the website it's also available on most online uh, websites the book and if you want to support your local bookstore it's uh, distributed for my publisher through a company called bookmasters out of Pennsylvania so if you wanted to support your local bookstore and order it through your local bookstore they could order it from bookmasters and you can get it that way as well uh, people can get a hold of me on messenger uh, on Facebook that's the only social media that I'm working is Facebook and messenger uh, so you can get a hold of me there as well or you can post a question on my timeline or um i also have a group called gary wayne and the genesis 6 uh, conspiracy i haven't spent as much time in there in the last year as i would like but i'm spending more time in there again as i get closer to finishing the the second book so lots of ways to get a hold of me and uh do be patient it may, may take me a little bit of time to get back to you yeah
0: go on brian i know you haven't said too too much so you want to get a closing statement or anything gary i just wanted to thank you as well
2: man we touched on a lot of stuff and i think a lot of it's going to be edifying so i can't thank you enough and yeah that uh, invitation to come back is always open. uh so uh, look out for another email from us again i'm sure in the near future brother
1: well invite me back anytime
0: all right thank you brother much love and god bless and we'll see you next time